A very special thanks to all those who continue to make these special podcasts possible. And those who have kindly donated to our charity campaign. Right now, every dollar is doubled. Even $5 would make a huge difference. We truly appreciate every little bit because we know that it comes from your heart. You can go to www.charity.com. That's charity with a D.com slash we are connected. Or you can access it directly from our website at jewishndg.com. We would be ever so grateful. So just to give you a little recap, um, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about how our emotions are clothed in our physical actions. And that is how we connect with the creator of the universe. We saw how the soul's attributes of intellect and emotions are on a higher level than the garments of the soul, which are thought, speech, and action, in terms of the structure of the soul. And the garments, though, enjoy a superiority in terms of connecting the person with God. Now, we're going to open up a more abstract and I would say complex understanding of Kabbalah. And we're going to talk about what we're going to call the Tzimtzum. Tzimtzum. And I will explain it soon. We're going to define it. But that's our goal today, is to get into this idea of how God interacts with this world. And God interacts with this world through a process called Tzimtzum. So, before we get into that, let's give you a little background. Learning Torah. And doing mitzvot with the garments of our soul, with our thought, our speech, and our action, are the way that we connect to God. Why? Because Kabbalah says the Torah and the mitzvot are completely united, they're completely one with God. And since the garments of the soul, thought, speech, and action, are how the soul plugs into the Torah and mitzvot, they, in effect, facilitate a direct connection with God. So, we're using the garments of our soul, our thought, speech, and action, to connect to God. God said, there are 613 ways of connecting to me. Pick one, pick two, pick three, as many as you want. But this is how you can connect directly with me. This is how you can have a direct relationship with me. You know, you can do what you want. And so many couples do this where, you know, he loves his wife the way he wants to be loved instead of the way she wants to be loved. Well, God is saying, we're in a relationship. You can love me the way you want to be loved, but that's not the way I necessarily want to be loved. So if you want to meet in our relationship, if you want to love me the way that I want to be loved, this is how you do it. And how do you do it? Through your garments of thought, speech, and action. Now, on the other hand, the soul's attributes of intellect and emotion, even at their highest, even at their fullest level, meaning that they're full with this, with this powerful feeling of love for God, 
They can't reach the same level of connection as the garments can, as thought, speech, and action can. And this is why the Torah says action and not study is the greatest importance. The Torah keeps on saying that we live in a world of action and we'll talk about the fact that this world is actually called the world of action. We'll talk about that in a future class. But we live in a world of action and action, not study. Study is wonderful. Study is beautiful. It's very important. We're doing it right now, but that is not the main point, which means you can't complete your study and say, aha, I've done it. Look, God, look, I gave you an hour today. How, you know, what do you want from me? We're good. Action is of main importance. And even, even if we had in mind all of the most powerful intentions that could possibly be intended, and we felt the most passionate emotions, it would still not compare to the degree of connection our physical performance of mitzvot can provide for our souls. All the greatest intentions, all the most passionate emotions cannot compare to the action. Action is everything. And Kabbalah tells us that out of all of the mitzvot that we can do, Torah study creates the strongest connection. Why? Because knowledge is power. So now, right now, we're going to open up a new space. And that is, we're going to examine the difference between physically doing mitzvot and learning Torah deeply. And we're going to gain an understanding of the Torah study's advantage over practical mitzvot. But before we get into that, we, we have a question that kind of arised from our last classes. Sorry, can, sorry, can you just go back? You said Torah study is more important than doing mitzvot? You know, it creates the strongest it creates, it creates the strongest connection. Remember, action is of most importance, but there's three garments of the soul. There's thought, speech, and action. So of all of the various garments and what we can do, Torah study makes the strongest connection. And we need to understand the difference between doing a mitzvah and studying Torah. And this is something that Kabbalah delves very deeply into. And it becomes like really the cornerstone of, 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 of the theological study. And, and before we go to that, we have this question that kind of came up. And I, I don't know if, 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 you, if you caught on this. But the question is, how does or did... I'm going to say more does than did. And the infinite, unlimited creator compress or squeeze himself into a finite, limited form of physical action, the mitzvot. So we said that the mitzvah, the physical action of a mitzvah connects us to God. God is unlimited. God is infinite. God is beyond this physical thing. I mean, you can't say that the, that the mitzvah has to do with something physical, that that has anything to do with God. God is way beyond this big, great, wonderful, awesome, powerful, we can use whatever adjective you want to use to describe God. How can that 
action that we do really matter to an infinite God? And this, we're going to open up this idea of tzimtzum. So there are three different viewpoints on how we perceive God. The first one, God is very, very big. The biggest. The biggest being that could possibly be. That's number one. Number two is God is unlimited and infinite. How is that different from number one? So number one, we're saying God is the biggest being, which means that God also has limitations. Okay. Because we're, we're, we're putting... Again, that wonderful word that we like to use, the rabbi word or the Kabbalah rabbi word, anthropomorphic terms okay. to God. Okay, and the second, the second viewpoint, we're just saying God is unlimited infinite. We're not calling God a being. We're not giving a, a, an anthropomorphic term to God. We're just going unlimited infinite. And, and I would say, actually, since we're on this conversation, that the second Viewpoint: the viewpoint of God being unlimited and infinite is more correct than the first. But it still does leave room for a mistaken assumption because God is unlimited and the world is limited. So if God is unlimited and the world is limited, we'd have to assume that God doesn't care what happens here. Why? Because God is not, not limited. What does it matter what happens here? Or, or even more extreme, God, God's infinite being and unlimited nature would prevent this God from entering the limited and finite aspects of creation. So which means the only way to connect to God, the only way to, to grasp God, would to be able to rid yourself of the physical world the physical restrictions, and deal only with spirituality. That the way you connect to God is you go and meditate on the mountaintop. That we would think because God is unlimited and infinite, the way you connect to God is, being, is by trying to be unlimited and infinite. You follow? Yes. Okay, so you see there's two very different viewpoints. One is limiting God, and the other one is unlimiting God. To the point where if we want to connect to this unlimited God, we would have to somewhat become unlimited, whatever that means, in our own way. And now there's a third viewpoint, which is this new viewpoint, one that is not well understood, the Kabbalistic viewpoint. And this viewpoint is that God is not limited to either being infinite or finite. God is above both and because of that, God is able to simultaneously be both. I'll explain. When God views us from his perspective on high, the finite and the infinite look alike. It's only our limited perspective that sees the infinite as being higher and greater than the finite. 
That's from our perspective, not from God's perspective. From God's perspective, God is so above both levels that in comparison to him, they're the same. The infinite and the finite are the same. Even though it's so different to us because we're finite beings and everything we know is limited to time and space, from God's perspective, it's all the same. So I'll, I'll explain it to you in, in the best example that I can give. I don't know if it's the best example, but an, an example. Think about two government ministers, the defense minister and let's say the education minister. And they're having an argument of which one of them is more important. And then a kid walks into the room and says, uh, excuse me, sir, who are you? I'm the education minister. And, the, and, the, and, and who are you? I'm the defense minister. And then they say, and they say, okay, kid, kid, which one of us is more important? I don't know, you're both ministers. I don't know what's more important. You're the education minister, you're the defense minister, you're both the same. So I think this is, I mean, it's not the best example, but it's an example. So by, by perceiving God in this viewpoint, we understand that he has the ability to compress, to squeeze himself into the finite forms of our physical world as he wishes and without any restrictions. This is exactly what God did when he gave this to Torah. What did God do? He made a, a zip file. Today, we, we, you know, if you want to send a large file, I mean, there's better ways today, but I would say as, you know, five years ago, if you wanted to send a large file, you'd do it by zip. You'd zip up the file. Everything was there because all you do is press a button on your computer and it becomes back to exactly what it was, but you have to condense it into a smaller file so you can send it easier. So God creates this zip file of himself and he inserted his entire essence into the Torah's letters, into the Torah's stories, into the Torah's instructions, and that by following its guidance and directives, we can access God's very essence. This term is called simtsum. God underwent a tzimtzum, a compression. God compressed himself, zipped himself, or compressed himself into the mitzvot. Now, it's possible to make a mistake because, again, we are looking at this from our limited perspective. And we have to remember, and we say this all the time, but I'm just going to remind you of this. The first and most important thing we have to know is the limitations of who we are. We are limited beings. We are limited to time and space. We are finite. The definition of finite is that we are limited to time and space. And unless we come to terms with the nature of our limitations, we're not going to have any understanding of any of this. For example, just to give you an example of the nature of our limitations, what's the opposite of finite? Infinite. Infinite. Infinite is not finite. That's, that's what it is. Infinite, not finite. We don't have a word that is the opposite of finite because we don't know the opposite of finite. 
So the best word we can use is finite is not. The opposite of finite is not finite. What does that mean? Is there a word? Like the opposite of yes is no. The opposite of good is bad. The opposite of finite is not finite. Because we are limited beings. And unless we continuously remember and remind ourselves and continuously come to terms with that limitation, we cannot have a conversation about any of this. We are limited beings trying to understand an unlimited universe, an unlimited God. But why is it so important to, because even to say that God is unlimited, it still puts God into a box. Why? Well, we're, we're going we're, we're gonna to use, and it's a good question. It's a very good question. We're going to use terms and understandings and definitions that are going to try to unbox God as, po- as much as possible. But they're always going to be anthropomorphic. We're going to have to put God into an understanding that we can understand. That's, there's no other way to do it. Is it the best? No. Is can it... we just that God is God? Well, that, that's great from a level of blind faith. You can say God is God um, from a level. And, and you start off with that. I mean, look, we, we can't even have this conversation if we don't start off with a little bit of faith. But we can't end there. There needs to be more to the universe. We need to unpack the universe a little more than that. I mean, I think maybe it's good for a five-year-old. But even for a 12-year-old, it's not even good anymore. A 12-year-old's already going to start asking and. and and you know good and well that you, from, from your own children, you know that they're even younger than 12, they're already starting to ask this. So we need to have answers. And in order to have answers, we need to delve into what is probably some of the most difficult studies because they're studies that really on their essence level, we don't understand. But we understand our limitations. We understand that there's certain elements of it we won't understand, but in those limitations, we can start creating at least a shared language. And that's what we're trying to do here. And so the first term that I'm teaching you in the shared language is this term simsum. That God compressed himself into these physical actions called mitzvot. God compressed himself into this physical world. The infinite God zipped himself into the finite. Because, and we're going to learn about this a little later, if God didn't do that, then the finite couldn't exist. But that's already going a step further. I'm not going to confuse you with that. So let's just understand this. I want to give you maybe another example. Let's talk about uh, right now with, uh, with SpaceX, there's all this conversation about going into space. So when an astronaut goes into space, they, need to take, they have to oh, still... Exploded. What? Huh? You know that SpaceX exploded yesterday, right? I saw, I saw that, yeah. A what? A space lab exploded? A SpaceX no, uh, rocket the, exploded. The, the one from uh, the Tesla guy. Yeah. But it was... Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So when an astronaut goes into space, they have to take food with them. But the spaceship, the rocket, 
doesn't have enough space, no pun intended, to store the amount of food that would be needed for the length of their trip on the International Space Station. So in order for SpaceX, or NASA for that matter, to deal with this issue, they create capsules of special concentrated food, and these capsules contain the nourishment that a person needs for an entire day. And that's how a lot of the astronauts eat while they're on the International Space Station. They can't have the expanded food that we can have on our plate. They have like these little pills they take that have all the nutrients that are necessary that are very well uh, created. That is exactly what Simpson is. It means to concentrate and to distill the essence and not leave anything out. NASA will tell you when they create those little capsules of food, there's nothing missing from the food, but it's the, the size of the food, which they have maybe more nutrients than we get on, on, a, on a regular dinner, in their dinner. But the actual size of the food is one or two or three pills. So it's like taking, I don't know, a, a vast library of books and compressing the scans of their pages that would fit into a single SD memory card. If you have an SD memory card that has a, you know, 200 gigs of memory on it, you can probably hold a huge library, maybe bigger than any library you can have in your home, in the, literally in your two fingers. Is there anything missing from it? Absolutely not. Every page is there. It's just compressed into a little memory card. I'm trying to use these, you know, as the best examples that I can give. And what's amazing is what I love about living in the 21st century is technology has given us a new form of example for its symptom that I think that if I was a teacher 100 years ago talking about this, I would not be able to give you these examples in any way. And I think that I would assume, I, I didn't live 100 years ago, but I would assume that teachers of Kabbalah 100 years ago had a very difficult time using examples for symptom. Have you heard, like, on a different note, that uh, the Israeli head of uh, uh, space uh, studies that is not retired uh, said that they, there are aliens and there's a galaxy, there's a federation of the galaxies, and they've made a deal with Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're it because we're not ready. Yeah. I heard it all. Wonderful. I'm happy. I'd rather, I'd rather stick to what I know. <laughs> it made me laugh so much. Yeah. The part to deal with Trump, that was yeah. hilarious. Uh, very, très important. Okay. <laughs> so, how do we, how do we transfer a large quantity of water from one location to another if we don't have the appropriate container. So the easiest way to do it is to freeze it and then we can move the entire amount of water as ice. God did the same thing with the Torah. God wanted to transfer to us his infinite 
his unlimited wisdom, but we are limited beings with limited minds and we're not able to contain infinite wisdom. So what did God do, so to speak? God froze his wisdom, compressing and condensing every drop of it into the finite graspable form of the Torah and the mitzvot that we have today. Now, imagine someone who never saw ice before. They have no idea that this clear block of ice that they're looking at is actually water. And when they hold it in their hands, they don't realize, because they've never seen this before, that they're actually holding water in their hands. The Torah is the same. You can look at the Torah and, in, and the mitzvot and believe that God is not inside of it. Not in, that God is not inside of them. And since, since this individual can very easily deny the fact that God froze himself into them and that the ice is not really water. It's ice. But the truth is that by learning Torah and fulfilling its mitzvot, we have direct access to God. We use the Torah and mitzvot as direct access to create this incredible relationship with God. So yeah, I can feel God in my heart. That's wonderful. A lot of people say, oh, I feel God in my heart. And I'm proud of them. But what if you can actually have a relationship with an infinite God? Because there's elements in this world that God zipped up, that God froze, that God put into a little SD card, that God put into a little NASA capsule. And you can actually have this real, true relationship with an infinite God. I'm just going to go one step further before I take your questions. Although what we're talking about is a concentrated form of God that's found in the Torah study and in the performance of a mitzvah, we're getting direct access to God. It's like... It's like meeting a long-lost friend from your past. When you embrace each other joyfully, you know that you're not only hugging the many layers of outer clothing that they may be wearing, you're hugging your friend. You're not hugging their clothes. Your friend is there. Their true essence is there. So when we learn Torah and mitzvot, we are hugging God. It's not that we're hugging the external layers of God. We are hugging the essence of God. We're not hugging God's clothes. We're hugging God. It just happens to be that there's clothes. This is the clothes that God is using in order to allow us to hug him, to have that relationship with him.